Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, September 20th. Excellence is the name of the game on today's show as we had a couple of standout performers over another championship weekend throughout the professional tennis world. Of course, perhaps the performance standing above all else, the performance of 18-year-old Clara Tossin earns another WTA-level title this season in Luxembourg. Three set wins over both Marketa Vandrusova, Yelena Ostapenko on her way to the title. One could make a legitimate case that it's Tossin. Not Raducanu, not Fernandez, not Goff. Clara Tossin, the former world junior number one, may just be the best teenager in women's tennis right now. And while that's a topic I will explore on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel later this week, I do want to talk about, again, what allowed her to earn that title over the past week of play. Of course, she wasn't the only one with a standout performance. Benjamin Balsey uh, continues his standout season on the challenger level, a sixth title for him this past week on the indoor hard courts in France was a fantastic three-set win for him over Arthur Rindernesh in the semifinal and for Bonzi three straight weeks of titles to put together 15 straight wins three consecutive weeks of play you look at where his ranking is right now I want to talk about where the 25 year old goes from here of course we also had a first time title performance from Jasmine Paolini who much like the you know uh, Meyer Sharifs of the world much like the Arthur Rindernesh's of the world, has had a breakthrough season in 2021. I want to talk about the mechanics of that breakthrough season, what has allowed her game to thrive here this year. Of course, there were five challengers last week, and if you think I'm not going to talk a little bit about Mitchell Kruger, one of the crack racket staples over the past few seasons, one of the guys I, as I was getting into tennis, was watching, you know, have success at the junior level and then have success, futures, challengers. I want to see that breakthrough. I still think there's a top 100 pathway for Mitchell Kruger. Certainly he's crafting it as he earns a second carry challenger title this season. I'll run through the rest of the challenger level results, give you a brief rundown on what happened at the Futures event in Champaign because when there are that many college uh, players, both former and current, competing in a single event, you know I'm going to keep my eye on that sort of action. Of course, there's a ton of fun ATP and WTA action happening this week. That is going to be the topic of tomorrow's podcast. We'll set the schedule, set the scene, set the plate, the platter, whatever the term is, for all of this week's action. But again, on today's pod, I want to recap what we saw this past week. And of course, again, I do, before I get into that, want to apologize for the lack of content this weekend. Some of you may have seen the tweet. I was able to go on my first club tennis reunion trip since 2019. We brought the gang back together. And of course, I won't regale you with the details of my performance. I will say this. I'm scheduled to play Dalton Thieneman again in our Summer Tennis League semifinals. I'm going to crush him because it's hilarious when... I won't lie. I played a lot of tennis growing up, and I'm not saying I was ever going to go pro. That's never, 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 never going to happen. I don't think I could have played high-level Division One college tennis either. It's not a don't think. I couldn't have. But I was not bad at tennis. I was fine. I was play- I'd like to think I was pretty good. If it's a binary scale 1-0, I think I'm a 1. And the point being um, – you know, I played a lot growing up, and it's hilarious the older you get. It's like, you know, you go on the court for one day, and you're really frustrated because you're like, oh, man, I can't replicate what I was used to doing, and this is the standard I'm used to playing when I'm on the court, and right now I'm a standard deviation below that or whatever it may be. But the older you get, you play three days, four days in a row, and I think we played 15 hours of tennis. We had a day session. We had a late afternoon session each and every day before we'd go out and enjoy delicious dinners and a night on the town in Miami. But first of all, working up a sweat, working up an appetite. I totally understand now why these players train in Miami. Just that humidity, that heat, you cannot replicate. I mean, I suppose you can replicate that in certain other places, but I get why Miami is the place for so many of these pros because I swear to God, I have a six-pack right now. And, we, you know, I'm not an elite athlete. It's just you hit in the sun for 15 hours, you're going to get in incredible shape. 
I said I wasn't going to regale you with details of my game. I apologize that saying I'm in incredible shape right now. None of you came to hear that. The point being, A, it was really fun to play tennis. B, it is so fun day two, day three when you get it back. That's why you love this sport because it is such an individual sport. And when you're feeling good in tennis, I don't know if there's any better feeling because of how empowering the game can be because it's it's just you out there competing and trying to find solutions. And, you know, there are points where it's the night session for us. It's our entry during hour four of play on the day and you're ready to yak and you push through that threshold and you're like oh man if I can do this it just creates belief elsewhere and so given that I just don't have the opportunity to play as frequently as I used to this weekend was a fantastic reminder and to all of you listeners who follow the game so closely that you're listening to a daily podcast go out and play as well and even if you don't have you know again I'm so fortunate to have five guys I can go on a trip with we're all similar level of play shockingly high level of play you know again we're all three four five plus years out of our primes level play was pretty solid and it's just so fun the other thing is that sense of community is just to be back in that environment I think all of us listening to this podcast or who are invested in the tennis world uh, would say that tennis players not just the pros but tennis fans in general we speak our own language things like treeing and just you know again there are terms and certain things and you could just, again, you make jokes about forehands or you make a joke and you make a parallel to some sort of tennis player or some sort of thing and everyone understands the comparison. It's just, again, I'm always so fond of the tennis community. A trip like this reminds me why I love this sport so dearly. So as always, I would recommend go play tennis if you have the chance to do so because it's certainly an exciting sport. That said, that was far too much on the Miami trip. That was an extended apology from me to all of you listeners for the lack of content we have. Uh, again, so much tennis to recap that's what we're going to be doing on today's show of course before we get into any of that i do want to remind all of you listeners the reason we're able to do this day in day out is because of the support we get from all of you it's because of the support we get from our crack rackets patreon family and of course it's because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Now, we're about to hit the seven-minute mark, and I haven't said you know more than two words about last weekend's action, so I'll keep it brief. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. We are eternally grateful for their support. We ask that you support them as well. And trust me, best equipment, lowest prices. Tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into it. And look, I'm not afraid to send out a spicy tweet or two. You know that's the brand I've tried to build for myself. That said, I think you can make a legitimate case that Clara Tawson is the best teenager right now in women's tennis. And of course, for those of you who are unaware of the Clara Tawson story, and I know we talked about her a lot at the beginning of this season when she was having all of this indoor success and we had a bunch of press access. So we had her on the From the Presser segment a bunch of different times. But for Clara Tawson, 18-year-old was the world junior number one. She was also someone who, look, had a ton of success at the junior circuit. She won nine singles titles on the ITF junior circuit between 2016 and 2019 with the 2019 Australian Open Junior Singles title being her greatest success. Of course, you look for Clara Tawson entering this season. She was not quite top 100, but was on the precipice. And at the end of last year, was able to, you know, go to the French Open, qualify there and beat Jennifer Brady, who was coming off of a U.S. Open semifinal in a dramatic three-set victory. And that was sort of her introduction to the broader tennis world. And then, look, she's come on to this season, just been so rock solid, 46-16 and 16 over her last 52. You look here in 2021, 37-13. She's winning 74% of her matches, folks, here in the 2021 season. Of course, now, perhaps her most impressive title to date, this title she's won in Luxembourg. And by the way, that's her second title in her last three events. You look for Clara Tawson now. She's won, I believe it's 11 of her last 12 matches. Her only loss being a 6-1-7-5 loss in the second round of the U.S. Open to top seed and world number one Ashley Barty. We're seeing a breakthrough from Clara Tawson right now. And you know who she beat in the Chicago final, 6-1-2-6-6-4? You know who the last person to defeat Emma Raducanu was? It was Clara freaking Tawson in the Chicago 125 final. And you just look for Tawson 
it starts with the aggression. And, of course, the firepower she can produce off of both wings. She has an extreme forehand grip. There's no denying that. It's definitely more in the Western mold as opposed to the semi-Western or even, you know, borderline Eastern grip that occasionally is used by a guy like Roger Federer, that aggression. And so, you know, again, that's not tossing. She's definitely more in the semi to severe Western sort of grip, but her ability to generate racket head speed. Oh my goodness. And I will say, and I apologize again, every so often, some Miami details are going to seep in and shout out to the crew uh, for putting up with all of my nonsense. That was the other fun thing about this Miami trip. Not to say that my five friends in club tennis are the perfect barometer of the broader tennis population, what tennis fans think, but it was fascinating for me because I do live in a tennis journalist bubble. You know, the people who we try to bring on this podcast are people who follow the tennis world closely. And, you know, while my five friends certainly follow it, they don't follow it to the degree that most of us do. And so it's great to hear what does the common fan think, the casual fan think about all of these tennis players. Clara Tawson was not a name on their radar. And yet you look for Clara Tawson and, you know, again, why did I bring them up? It's because they were making fun of my racket head speed throughout the course of the trip. Uh, and look, that's not my calling card. Uh, anyways, um, Clara Tossa does not struggle with racket head speed. It's elite. And just her ability to whip that forehand particularly. There's this one. Go watch the highlights of her match both against Vondrusova or against Yelena Ostapenko. Vondrusova at one point hits a backhand slice, backhand dish drop shot. That's not a shock to any of you. I just forget the exact point it happens. And it's a mid-court sort of lulling forehand approach. And I will say for Clara Tawson right now, it's the fitness, the movement, not the fitness, the movement, excuse me, that's a little bit behind the rest of her game. So she was a little bit slow getting up to that ball, but she got her racket on and her ability to whip that forehand short angle cross court as an approach shot. I think there are maybe three other players who have the sort of racket head speed and talent to hit that specific ball. And that's a testament to, again, just the pace she's able to generate. And I mean, her backhand is delightful. And you guys know I'm a backhand connoisseur here at at the mini break. Just in general, that is the shot for me. You grow up an Andy Murray fan, you're going to love yourself some backhands. Tossin's ability to generate pace down the line to her ability to hit through a court cross court. I mean, and again, matching up with the lefty Von Drusova, 6-4-2-6-6-4 win for her. She caught every Von Drusova forehand in that first set on the rise and early and just took it cross court, cross court until Von Drusova would leave one short and then she'd go down the line. And Clara Tossin's a player who also moves forward exceptionally well, who uh, is plenty comfortable at the net. She hit a high backhand drop shot volley winner that just I again go hit a high backhand volley it's the hardest shot in tennis to hit and she hit it with ease and she you know on the stretch she's exceptional because she's never been the best mover and as such you learn to lean you learn to reach and she has no problem doing that and you know, again, against Von Drusova, she was able to match the test from a fitness perspective. And yeah, Von Drusova got her 6-2 in that second set. And you could tell the backhand uh, drop shots and the drop shot lob combination. She must have drop shot lobbed Tossin 12 times in that second set at least. And just it kept working. You could tell Tossin was getting frustrated and sort of checked out towards the end of the set. But then she was refocused, and she immediately breaks serve to begin the third. Now, she was broken back, but for an 18-year-old to be drop shot lobbed to death in a second set and have the mental fortitude to bounce back, break right away to start the third, that speaks to how developed a competitor Tossin is. She's got all the intangible qualities. She swings through her problems, and normally she's able to find her rhythm as she swings through those problems. And again, she just had more firepower than Van Drusova down the home stretch, and she was solid enough off of both wings to withstand the relentlessness of Marquette Van Drusova. And Van Drusova, by the way, has been excellent of late. And you can just tell she's finally healthy and fit. You know, she moves the ball around the court as well as any player in the game and her ability to absorb pace on that forehand wing, change direction on you. She's always going to track down that extra ball. The drop shot on the backhand side is so unpredictable, so effective. She finds the angles. She can flatten the ball out. I thought she was excellent against Elisa Mertens in the quarterfinal. Mertens served for the set at 5-4 and had breakpoint set point chances at 5-3 and you know Von Drusova was able to flip that set flip the match she was able to fight back against Tossin in set number two and just was relentless again trying to make that match physical but 
credit to Clara Tossin. You know, all that is to say, I think Von Drusseva's back, folks. Um, but Clara Tossin was just excellent in that semifinal, makes 62% of her first serves, wins 71% of her first serve points, 50% of her second serve points. Now, lost, uh, lost four of the five break points that she faced, but I do think that some of that credit needs to go to Marquette Van Drusva. It also needs to be say, said that the majority of those breaks came in the second set. And then you get to the, the final, and it was a completely different dynamic for Tossin. She matched the power tennis of Yelena Ostapenko, shot for shot, and Ostapenko, oh my goodness, was she excellent at this event in Luxembourg. And you look for Ostapenko, now that she's had these sorts of stretches, two different points in recent events, you look for, again, how excellent she was during the grass court season, wins the title in Eastbourne, knocks out Conteve, Rabakina, Kasakina Jabour, and Pavlachenkova on the way to that title. That might be as impressive of five wins as you're going to find at any perhaps non-Grand Slam event on the year, but for her in Luxembourg, I mean, one and six over Samsonova, six and two over Alize Cornet, comfortable wins in her first two matches as well. She was just striking the ball so cleanly, and these courts in Luxembourg were fast. I mean, they were playing so, so quickly. And again, Ludmilla Samsonova was excellent this week. And you look for Samsonova in particular, the way she took the ball, you know, off the racket of Belinda Bencic. She was the one doing the dictating. She was the one forcing Bencic on the stretch. The amount of serves out wide plus one forehands that she was just hitting on that deuce side. Again, Ludmilla Samsonova, her power tennis. I think Samsonova's due for a breakthrough 2022 season. She's going to be my dark horse at the majority of Grand Slams, at least on, I should say, the fast surface of the hard court and grass court slams. She will be my dark horse pick until her ranking will no longer allow her to qualify as a dark horse because I do think she has that degree of power tennis. But, you know, Ostapenko matched her shot for shot in the semifinal was taking the ball early on the rise, seemed to win every big point in that first set. And yet, in the final against Clara Tawson, the dynamic was flipped. And just for Tawson, I think the thing she does so well, she just comes out of the gate so focused, so energized, and that aggression right off the bat, it's tough to match because she's taking those return of serves so early. She's going big cross court, big down the line, changing her targets. She also hits a heavy forehand. There's a lot, a lot of spin on that forehand. And yet, Watching Ostapenko match that power tennis, watching Ostapenko raise her energy level, watching Ostapenko just scrap her way and fight to that second set. It was a really, really fun match. And you look for Ostapenko, look, she won 71% of her first serve points, made 73% of her first serves in that final against Clara Tossin. She saved four of the eight breakpoint chances she faced. But the problem was when Ostapenko fired up a kick serve, second serve, Clara Tossin made her pay. Ostapenko won only 29% of her second serve points in the final. Meanwhile, for Clara Tossin, she wins 69% of her first serve points, 63% of her second serve points, uh, saves three of the five breakpoint chances that she faced. Uh, that she faced. I mean, you know, again, back-to-back two-hour victories for uh, for Clara Tossin, the 18-year-old, and for Tossin to earn wins over Alexandrova, Buzkova, Vandrusova, and Ostapenko, back-to-back-to-back-to-back, and, you know, a good 2-2 two two win over Astra Sharma as well on these fast indoor surfaces speaks to her success and speaks to how pro-ready and just again, how developed her game is, where her weapons are at this point of her career. You look for Clara Tossin this season, break percentage 38.6 right now in her WTA level matches. Uh, you look for her right now, that number would translate, I believe, on Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard. That sounds like a lower, uh, that number, let's see, that 39.4, ooh, that would be pretty darn good. You look for Clara Tossin, that 38.6 break percentage that she's had this season in her WTA level matches, which would be similar to Ashley Barty. So good for about 20th amongst top 50 players. Of course, you look for Toss and her percentages as a server, perhaps even better. She's held serve 70.9% of the season, uh, uh, 70.9% of the time, excuse me, throughout the course of this season in her WTA level matches. That number tied with Alina Svitolina for 17th amongst top 50 players. So again, She's displayed top 20 club level numbers. She would be one of 
12 players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage right now. And you look for Clara Tawson with this title. She's up to number 52 in the live rankings. That's a new career high for the 18-year-old. You look for her in the race to the year-end finals. Clara Tawson, a very similar right now, currently 55th in terms of points accumulated. You look at the advanced metrics for Tawson, up to 27th in overall ELO, up to 19th in 2021 specific results. Yeah, She's a top 50 player already, and she's going to be circled by everyone. That's the obvious dark horse pick to make a big jump entering the 2022 season because all of the numbers demonstrate that she might. Again, she's holding serve at a top 20 level. She's breaking serve at a top 20 level, and all of that uh, makes sense and passes the eye test examination because she's got those sorts of weapons that when she's clicking, she plays on her terms regardless of the competition. Now, again, moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see how she matches up with players with the bigger weapons who can match her pace. Certainly, she held up against Ostapenko in three sets, but for Tawson, not the best mover right now, not the most explosive first step, not the most fluid side to side. Now, the good news for her, 18 years old, do you know what the one thing everyone gets better at as they turn 24, 25, enter their physical prime? It's going to be their movement. And of course, the rest of the game already is there as well. So that ceiling for Clara Tawson, extraordinarily high. She was exceptional throughout the course of the week in Luxembourg. And again, you look for Tawson. She's won titles now this season in Lyon in Luxembourg at the WTA level. She earned the 125 title at Chicago. She also earned a 25K title, two of them earlier this season in January and February. As I mentioned, she's 37 and 13 overall this season. You look at her breakdown by record against players outside the top 100. She's 26 and 6 against top 100 opponent. She's 10 and 7 against the top 50. She's now 4 and 3. She belongs in that conversation. And as I mentioned, in the live rankings and rankings overall, a new career high of number 52 for Clara Tawson. You know, that's exactly where you want to be at 18, 19 years old. Age restrictions have come off. She can play whatever sort of schedule she wants moving forward. And her ranking will allow her to get into, let's be honest, every event that she wants to play. So Clara Tawson has positioned herself beautifully for a breakout 2022 campaign. Of course, again, you look at the other results in Luxembourg. Yelena Ostapenko makes the final with that result. Ostapenko back up now in the live rankings, uh, all the way up to number 30. So certainly for her, given she's had some tough uh, early rounds at slams that she can perhaps avoid seeds until, you know, that third, fourth round continue to put herself in a position to perhaps make an even bigger jump here down the home stretch of the season. Certainly, uh, Yelena Ostapenko has made the most of this back half of 2021. Of course, you look at some of the other players I've mentioned with this result of Andrusova up to number 40. That's three spots higher. Ludmilla Samsonova, the 22-year-old Russian. You always forget how many of these players are 24 years old or younger. Samsonova, 22. Similar, you know, everything I said about Tossin for Samsonova now, 22 years old at number 40. In the rankings, you're going to get to play whatever you want to play in 2022. So she has positioned herself beautifully to continue her breakout in the 2022 season. But again, that was the action in Luxembourg. Of course, you know, while Tossin becomes the fifth player, I believe, to earn multiple titles at the WTA level this season, we had a first time title winner in Porto Rose uh, over the week as well in Jasmine Paulini who continues a breakout 2021 campaign. This time, it's by earning the title in, uh, excuse me, Porto Rose, as mentioned, for Paulini, what she's able to do. Three-set victory over Putin Seva in the semifinals, then earns a 6-2 and two victory over Allison Risk in the finals. It was also a three-set win for her over the always dangerous number four seed, Serana Kirstea in the quarterfinals. You even look down the board. Callan Sky is a player who's established herself in the top 80 over the course of the season. Diana Yastremska was a straight set win for her in the first round as well. There were no easy matches, no layups for Paulini on course to her first WTA level victory, uh, WTA title level victory. And of course, you look for Paulini here this season. Uh, she's had a bunch of different success. Now, she made a final in St. Mao, uh, St. Mao, excuse me, St. Mao, Mayo, excuse me, there it is, earlier this season before losing in straight sets to Victoria Golubic. She won a title in Bull. I believe that was a 125 uh, at the start of June, knocking out Aranxa Rus in the final of that. And now she earns the title here in Potoro 
Rose. It's her first WTA-level title, obviously second WTA-level final for her. Uh, now uh, Jasmine Paolini up to a new career high in the rankings for Paolini, number 61 in the live rankings. You look for her, though, after the week currently, number 64 in the WTA rankings. Of course, she's now 27-23 and 23 in her last 52 weeks, but 26-19 and 19 here this season, 58% win percentage. You look at her breakdown by ranking of opponent for Paolini against top 100, uh, excuse me, against opponents outside the top 100, 13 and 7, 13 and 12 though, against the top 100. And that is how you establish yourself within that group. Now, 4 and 7 against the top 50. She's not quite there because the consistency match in, match out perhaps at that WTA level for the 25-year-old, just the the consistency of her first strike. Uh, Sometimes that first strike gets a little bit erratic, but you look at the power of tennis she played throughout the course of the week, and in particular in the Putin-Seva match. Look, Putin-Seva in that first set was just a brick wall. She was absorbing, redirecting every first forehand, every big backhand that Paolini threw at her, and it would have been easy for Paolini to check out after losing that first set 6-1, after seemingly having so many deuce point chances throughout the course early of that match, but she didn't. She continued to you know, keep swinging. And again, she can hit a degree of power tennis. It's not quite tossing level, uh, but it's pretty damn good where she's going to hold serve. She's going to put pressure on her opponents, force them to make a little magic in the outer thirds. And just over the course of three sets, over the course of two and a half hours, Yulia Putin-Seva wasn't able to come up with quite enough magic uh, to earn that victory and wear down Paulini. And you look for Paulini again, just over the course of this season, she's continued to make progress and now inside uh, the top 75 overall and you look for her here this season the numbers uh, certainly uh, obviously going to be uh, above where they've been she's holding 60.8% of the time and while that would still be an outside the top 35 number amongst top 50 players uh, that's a career high for her in WTA tour level matches she's breaking serve 35.3% of the time again that's outside the top 35 but right around her career average right around the career high for her and just to do it over this many repetition she's played you know more WTA tour level matches this season than in any other prior season in her career it speaks to the fact that you know the skill set has translated and again I do think she continues to find more ways to be effective with her first stroke to rein in the return of serve and just you know instead of going for broke on that first forehand using that first forehand to go for broke on the second uh, forehand I thought Paulini played fantastic aggressive tennis over the course of this event and again these are the sort of opportunities back half of the year the players with the momentum the Paulinis of the world who have had the confidence who have had deep runs and are going to continue to pursue every opportunity they can to build their rankings this was just an excellent decision from Paulini her team to go play this event excellent execution for her again to have this result on a hard court you look for her and her career was only her third final since 2017 on hard court she ends up getting the win her first WTA tour level title of course you got to give a shout out to Ali Risk who's dealt with so many different injuries has only played 20 uh, 20 total matches over the course of the season and you know for her to get the final here you look for Ali Risk it's her first final I believe since I want to say 2019 when she made that final yeah in Wuhan uh, and lost in three sets to Arena Sabalenka but you got to give credit to her uh found her form here in this event. You look for her throughout the course of the week. A really good win, 0-4 over Kaya Yuvon. Just stretched Yuvon to the outer thirds. And by the way, I'll get into Yuvon in a second, but for Ali Risk, same deal. Absorbed the first strike of Kiki Mladenovic. Redirected it so well in the quarterfinals. She needed this result for her ranking as well. Again, she's only played 20 matches, but with this final, she's still stabilizes things a little bit. Currently at number 50. We're going to see her play this week in Ostrava as well. So again, Ali Risk's got to go chase some points. She's healthy and now she's found her level again. But uh, by the way, for Jasmine Paolini with her title, I mentioned it. She's a first-time title winner uh, on the WTA Tour level. We've now had 16 first-time title winners here this season, all of them aged 27 or younger. You look at the group, new champions here in 2021. Let's go from youngest to oldest. Clara Tossin won her first WTA Tour-level title. Layla Fernandez won her first WTA Tour-level title. Maria Camilo Osorio Serrano won her first uh, career WTA-level title. And Emma Raducanu won her first career WTA-level uh, Tour-level title. Four teenagers have won first-time titles here this season. You look at the 
players again who are still all under the age of or 25 or younger. You've got Krechikova, you've got Cerebes Tormo, you've got Kudermatova, Paula Bedosa, Astra Sharma, uh, Ludmila Samsonova, uh, you've got Emil Camilo Rusa, you've got Tamara Zedanzik, uh, Jasmine Paulini, you've then got players like Danielle Collins and Zivaneska, and obviously Own Jabord and Collins don't feel like they're going anywhere anytime soon. We've seen all of these players, and this speaks to the depth, this speaks to the parity, it speaks to the quality of the women's tennis we've seen thus far, but of course, again, you know I'm going to beat this drum whenever I see the opportunity to do so. It speaks to the generational shift we're seeing occur on both uh, in both the men's and women's game. Again, 16 first-time title winners. I think that math is right. 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 16. That math is correct. 16 first-time WTA Tour-level title winners here in 2021. It has been that exciting, that suspenseful of a 2021 season. But of course, that was your action that happened on the women's side. And I will get into, again, previewing this week's action, both on the women's and men's sides of the game uh, in tomorrow's podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I do want to talk about the action we saw unfold on the ATP Challenger Tour last week. Five challengers over the course of the week. Of course, if you guys want to hear the complete breakdown, as always, hop on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. Damien Kust, Jakob Bobro, each week, every Monday, providing their thoughts on all of the action that occurs. But we have to talk about the history being made by Benjamin Bonzi uh, here this season. Bonzi winning the title in Rennes, France. France. He went France. Sorry, slipped out Rennes, France. Uh, He wins a record-tying sixth title in a single season. He's joined uh, Bagnus, Chela, and El Ayanawi. Ayanawi. There we go. Lock that in. Uh, In accomplishing that feat, he's the first to win three titles in three consecutive weeks since 2016. Joining Mikhail Yuzny, he's the first to own a 20-match ATP Challenger win streak since 2017. That was Janko Tipsarovic. I mean, look, you, you just look at his performance here this week. I think what was so impressive for him was the fact that for the third straight week, he was able to get the job done and there was just no dip in his level of play. And you look for him now, again, over the course of the past three weeks, he's you know earned victories just in that span of time over Chris O'Connell, over Kasper Zouk twice, over Luca Pui, over Elias Emer. And just, again, the quality of wins this week. He beats Emer, Zouk, Brody, Rindernesh, and Mats Morang. And this was week three of the action for him. And now he's going off to Nur Sultan to play an ATP event. And you look for Benjamin Bonzi of every player on the ATP Tour, every player across levels. And I know it's across levels and guys who are ranked lower are inherently going to be playing more events than guys that are ranked higher because they're trying to pursue points. They're trying to pursue all these things. I understand all of that. I'm not naive to that fact. But Benjamin Bonzi has the single most wins of any ATP player this season, 53. 53 wins this year. He's played 74 matches. He's won 53 of them. That's ridiculous. 50 wins in a season, you get a tip of a cap. Westoff, give this man a round of applause. It's an extraordinary effort. And you look for him over the course of the year where he's been so effective, where he needs perhaps to continue to improve. It's been early in the rallies. For him, he's a guy very much first serve, first stroke. That's where Bonzi can play his best tennis. And you look uh, for him, uh, particularly of late, he has. And for uh, Benjamin Bonzi here this season, again, it's been very ATP challenger-centric. But he's held serve 85.6% of the time. Now, again, you can't translate that directly into a top 50 level player because of the level of competition, but you look at that 85.6 number, uh, that number would be good, I believe. Yeah, it would be right above Borna Church for 11th right now 
on the ATP Tour uh, amongst top 50 players. He matched Rindernesh stroke for stroke on an indoor hard court uh, in terms of holding serve. And you look for Bonsi in that match. He held serve each and every game in that match, was not broken, fought off each of the five break points that he faced in just... Again, his ability to play first strike, his willingness to serve in volley, his ability to just make that approach shot with depth and precision and to put pressure on you as his opponent and just it's such a well-rounded game. And yeah, there's a little bit of a hitch in the forehand. It's definitely a little bit bigger, but the way he makes contact with it, it's a little RBA-ish. I mean, there's it, the ball's a little bit more dynamic and he's more aggressive in the way he moves forward, but the way he covers the court side to side, just again, it's sort of effortless. Uh, it, it just he reminds me of a Roberto Bautista Agut sort of athlete, and I'm curious for those who listen to this podcast if they agree or disagree with that comparison, but you look for him over the course of the week and just, again, against Liam Brody, wins 92% of his first serves, against Rindernesh, 84, against Morang in the final, 84, uh, uh, Morang, yeah, excuse me, in the final, 84, yeah, it was just... He was he was so dynamic, and again, when you have dead legs, when you're playing week number three after winning the back-to-back challengers, you want to shorten points a little bit. You need to be aggressive. You need to find ways to win points for free, and he was able to do that. And again, Rindernesh was so good in that first set, and you know it went to a tiebreaker, and Rindernesh ended up taking it 11-9 after playing this incredible point at 9-all to fight off the mini-break chance uh, because Bonzi was on his front foot and was at the net, and you know again, Rindernesh was able to track down a ball, hit a backhand passing shot that ended up actually clipping the net tape before landing in, and just, you know, he used the momentum from that to take the first set in four balls, so you could understand week three semifinals, maybe you let the match go, tight first set, you know what, Rindernesh, I tip my hat, you're going to win this one, I'm going to take an early break, that's going to be what it's going to be, no, that's not what Benjamin Bonsi did. He buckled back down. He continued to hold serve. He got to a second set tiebreaker. He won that tiebreaker. And then it was Rindernesh who went away at the start of that third set. And again, just the quality of win for him over Emer, over Zook, over Brody, over Rindernesh, over Merang. He was excellent throughout the course of each and every match of the week. And you look for him now this season against opponents ranked outside the top 100, 60 and 20. In his last 52. First of all, that he's played 80 matches in the last 52 weeks against just non-top 100 opponents. And by the way, that means he's 4-6 and six against opponents within the top 100. Uh, but he's 60-20 and 20 against opponents ranked outside the top 100. There's a reason he's now broken into that group. You win six ATP Challenger titles, even if, and you look for him now over the course of the last 52 weeks, he's 4-7 and seven at the ATP level. But if you're 4-7 and seven at the ATP level with six Challenger titles... You should be in the top 100, and you look for him now again, up to a new career high of number 61 in the rankings. You look for him in the race to the year-end finals. Very sneakily, again, he's accumulated the 45th most points this uh, year on tour, and Look, credit to him, man. If you're willing to go through the challenger grind, even when your ranking indicates perhaps you can go play ATP-level events, you take it. And for the 25-year-old now, up to a new career-high ranking, he's not going to have to worry about playing Grand Slam qualifying next season. He's going to get into all of those main draws. He can go play 250s at each and every uh, surface because he's built up points and equity over the course of the year. Six challenger titles spread out, but of course, three back-to-back-to-back here at the end of the season. He's got a nice stash of points to sit on entering 2022 with Grand Slam main draws ahead of him as well. And you do wonder for Benjamin Bonzi, and again, you look at the numbers for him, uh, you know, that hold percentage drops to a 74.9 career average at the ATP level. His break percentage drops from 25.8 to 21.5, and certainly the forehand grip uh, can be a bit exposed by the bigger serves uh, as you play higher level ATP opponents and you look for him again 4-7 and seven this season uh, got wins first round of Wimbledon over Trungaletti got a win last year in Paris a win in Roland uh, in Paris both at the Paris Masters and Roland Garros for him this season was first round loss in Marseille in Lyon to Karen Hachinov in three sets he lost to Fasundo Bagnus at Roland Garros as well for the record you know three set loss to Ebden in Marseille three set loss to Goffin in Mont Pellier, three-set loss to Hachinov in Lyon. That 4-7 and seven record is a bit deceptive. He's played, you know, those opponents close. You look for him in his career at the ATP level. Uh, he's 16-10 and 10 overall, though that includes futures events. Sometimes that happens. I apologize. So you take out, let's see, the 10 wins there. So he's 6-10, and 10, but then you take out the one loss. So 5-9 and nine in his career at the ATP level. We just need to see it. 
But the good news is we're going to get it to see it moving forward. He's put himself in that position. Again, a fantastic week for him in a tournament that had a really high-quality field. And for Arthur Rindernesh, I don't think there's any shame in losing to Benjamin Bonsi, who is a top 75 player, clearly, who belongs in that same conversation. He's one of the breakthrough players of the year, much like Rindernesh, who did his job. Beat Luca Pui three and six, and you know beat Tristan Lamassine six and two. Got all of the wins he was supposed to win. Tobias Kamka on an indoor hardcore, big serving, big first shot tennis. I thought he played really well this week, and you know again for Rindernash, no shame in that six seven seven six six one loss. I love the aggression he played with his forehand right now. He's just hitting it so confidently. His willingness to move forward, his ability to move around the court. I think I'm starting to see a guy, and I know this is an intangible thing, but if you watch Rindernesh play, I think you're seeing a guy who's starting to believe in himself a little bit more. Just believe, oh, I am this good. I should be dominating. My forehand, my serve is not good. It's it's dominant. I should dominate with my game and play on my terms. And I know that's an intangible thing. But you know it when you see it, and I think you can just see that confidence coming in. Again, I thought the Bonzi, uh, Bonzi win was a credit to him more than anything Rindernesh did wrong, but Rindernesh continuing to uh, improve his ranking currently up, I believe. Let's see right now for Rindernesh. Uh, he's currently number 73. That's a career high in the rankings for him. You look for him in the race, currently 50th overall. Oh, by the way, for the ELO rankings right now, just for those of you curious, Rindernesh 55th in overall ELO, Bonzi 51st. You look for them in terms of 2021 specific ELO. Uh, right now, Bonzi currently ranks 27th in 2021 specific results. Arthur Rindernesh, 41st. Those are two guys who have been, again, by every metric, borderline, if not top 50 players. Looking forward to continuing their, uh, to see their rise. And, you know, again, I think French tennis is in a very similar position to American tennis. Do we? And they might not even have the prospect, the Korda, the Brooksby, the Nakashima that we have, although they do have a lot of talented youngsters. But there's a nice depth growing in Bonzi, in Hugo Humbert, in Arthur Rindernash that are just you know guys who are going to be in the mix. Certainly not the highs of... Gasquet, Monfils, Simone, Songa, all at their best. Four guys who are borderline, if not top 10 talents, but certainly a bunch of talent across the board. And, you know, again, Bonzi leading that list. And you, by the way, you look at a challenger indoor hardcourts in France. It was Rindernesh, Bonzi, and Richard Gasquet. Three of the top four seeds all make the semifinal. Shout out to Mats Mareng. Uh, the big run uh, for, I believe, the 29-year-old German into the final. Currently number 175 in the rankings. That is about 27 off his career high of 148, which he reached back in 2018. But that was, again, your big result. And shout out to the challenger, too for tweeting out these stats. Again, a record-tying sixth title in a single season. Joins three other players with that accomplishment. First to win three titles in three consecutive weeks since Yuzny in 2016. First to own a 20-match ATP Challenger win streak since 2017. That was one of five challengers on the week, folks. Of course, we did have another run from Mitchell Kruger in carry. A couple of fantastic wins for Kruger. Three sets over Dennis Kudla in the semifinals. Straight set over former, uh, former, I mean, his best man at his wedding, Bjorn Fertangelo, former roommate, Bjorn Fertangelo. There it is, four and three in the final. He also got wins over Purcell, Dane Kelly, and Jason Kubler in his first three matches. You look for Kruger, again, just from a fitness perspective, the 27-year-old, he's just in his prime. Like, he is ready for the battle. If you are not willing to suffer for at least an hour and a half, two, two and a half hours, you're not going to beat Mitchell Kruger because he is on the grind. And obviously, he is a guy who has played match after match, season after season at the challenger level. He is as well-equipped to handle that grind, the mental drain, all of it, as anyone right now out there. But for Mitchell Kruger, again, there's never been an issue on the backhand. His backhand, his ability to absorb, redirect on that side, uh, it's always been top 100 ability. The problem is, obviously, the extreme forehand grip, and we've had him on the show. He knows that fact. He knows people are targeting his forehand, and he's just better equipped for it now than he once was. His ability to change direction with that shot, his willingness to move forward, he continues to get better and better as a server as well, and you look for him this season. He's up to a new career high, 85.7 hold percentage on the ATP, uh, on the ATP Challenger level uh, tour this season. Again, against that's a career high for him by 10%. 
uh, or excuse me, that's above his career average by 10%. And that's obviously a career high for him at 85.7. That would be a top 15 number translated to top 50 players on the ATP tour. Of course, that's at the challenger level, but that speaks to the fact now that A, he places the serve extraordinarily well, and B, at 27 years old, there's just strength and miles per hour behind that serve that wasn't always there before. The plus one recognition, his ability to move forward behind an approach shot, recognition that just wasn't there before. And again, the continued improvement of his forehand, his break percentage, 26.1, it's a career high for him at the challenger level. He just has continued to get a little bit better each and every season, and you look for him now again for Mitchell Kruger. It's his second challenger title in carry here this year. You look for him overall now in 2021. Kruger, 26 and 17 overall. Uh, You look for him. He was able to qualify in Washington. uh, Lost to Holger Rune in qualies at the U.S. Open, but now makes the carry challenger final up to number 156. Guess what, folks? That's a new career high ranking for Mitchell Kruger at 27 years old. Now he's off to play the Columbus Challenger this week. He's got Stefan Kozlov first round indoor hard courts. Honestly, he should be just fine, folks. I just, you think his game, you know, for Kruger now, you look for him overall. This is a guy who started out his season playing futures level events, just trying to chase matches, find opportunities to play professionally, uh, just to continue to rank up points and rank up, you know, again, match durability. And it's paid off for him down the home stretch. You look since May, Little Rock semifinals. Since then, you know, he played Orlando Challenger, lost six and six to Eubanks, went to Wimbledon, played qualies, lost six and six first round qualies, qualified in Newport before losing first round there, wins the carry challenger in July, uh, qualifies in Washington, now wins the carry challenger here in September. You got to give a shout out to the continued pursuit of Mitchell Kruger. And again, for him, wins over guys he knows so well in Kudlin for Tangelo in his last two matches. He just, you got to love the way Mitchell Kruger competes, of course. It's definitely been a bounce back for Bjorn Fertangelo, who, when healthy, continues to prove he absolutely has the goods to get back into the top 129-16 this year. Another challenger final for him. It's his third overall on the season, of course. He won the challenger title in Cleveland, one of the few guys who can say, I beat Jensen Brooksby this season before losing to Brooksby in Tallahassee. Now, again, knocked off by Kruger here, but for him, wins over Vukic, Peniston, Machizuki, and Sarkeesian on his way to the final. It was a good summer for him as he qualified. Qualified, made round of 16 in Atlanta. Tough first round draw for him in qualities of the U.S. Open. He played Tanasi Kokonakis, but good bounce back for him here. Also qualified at Roland Garros earlier this season before getting knocked out first round by Cam Norrie. No shame in that, as obviously Norrie's been one of the breakout players of this 2021 season. But you look for Fertangelo uh, back up to number 189 in the rankings. You look for him in the race. Uh, Bjorn Fertangelo, number 118. I think that's more, a more accurate barometer of where his level's at right now, right around that top 100 cutoff. And again, puts himself in a pretty good position to play the events he should be playing uh, to get back towards that top 100. Of course, you look for Kruger here, by the way, this season. Uh, Mitchell Kruger, 152 in the ATP points race. But you look for him in the 2021 ELO ratings. Mitchell Kruger, I, this is as high as I've ever seen him. 88th in 2021 specific ELO. Crack the top 100 of the specific ELO. That's one benchmark, but it's a benchmark you're going to need to hit probably if you want to get into the ATP top 100. You look for Kruger now overall ELO ranking number 144. Uh, Again, he's put himself in a really good position, the position you can ask for. uh, I suppose entering 2022, he's going to get the chance to go to Australia, play qualies at all the Grand Slams, get into challengers, which of course, just given how difficult that is with uh, just the limited playing opportunities, uh, you can just a little bit of comfort, I suppose, knowing that his ranking is where it needs to be for him to try and make another pursuit to and continue his pursuit, I should say, towards the top 100. But of course, again, Kruger for Tangelo, standout performers. Kudla continues to Kudla, and you look for Dennis now. He solidified his spot in the top 100, number 91 overall in the live rankings. You look for Kudla this season, 72nd in the points race. Again, he's just 29 years old. Such a tough physical out. That was a really fun match between him and Kruger. Uh, you look for uh, the other semifinalist, uh, Alex Vukic. Big result for the former standout uh, from the University of the Illinois. In fact, you look for Vukic here over the course of this season. I believe this is his first challenger semifinal of the year, and in fact it is. And you look for him 24-23 and 23 overall, 19-20 and 20 here this season. Much-needed run for him to, again, rebuild some confidence down the 
home stretch. And, you know, again, up to number 214 right now in the live rankings. That's a little bit off his career high, but right where he wants to be, 25 years old, entering 2022. I suppose not right where he wants to be. You guys get what I am trying to say, of course, the quarterfinalists. Got to give a shout-out to the Spider-Man. Earned good wins over Rinky Hijikata, Stefan Kozlov to make a challenger quarterfinal, which for the 18-year-old is building off of his result uh, at the U.S. Open and forced Vida now new career high number 435. He's inside the top 500, which uh, just again, that's a comfort level for the 18-year-old. And in fact, I'm curious right now, amongst all of the under 19-year-old players right now in the ATP ranking, Zach Svida currently ranks fifth. So it goes Alcaraz is first, 37. Holgarune at number 130 is second. Dalibor Srisina of the Czech Republic, number 320. Shintaro Machizuki, 399. Then you get the Spider Man, currently at 435. Thought it was a good run for him in carry. But of course, that was your action there. You look at the other three results. Another challenger title for Zdenek Kolar. Guy is just a rock solid. Just you're, you're not going to outgrind him. He wins the title there, and I, I'm, I would regale you all with my thoughts. But I know for a fact that Damien and Jakob spent a bunch of time breaking this down on the Great Shot Podcast. So definitely hop over there. I will say, if you don't enjoy Yana Konifman on a tennis court, on a clay court, I don't know what to tell you. The drop shots, the serving volleys, the kick serves. It's just not your father's clay court tennis, and it's super, super fun to watch, and it's always good. Obviously, Yannick, friend of the program here, so excited to see him make another semifinal, and he's just been so – he's been a top 100 player on clay courts since the tour resumed in August. The stats say it. I sent out a tweet about it last uh, week. I think it's undeniable, but, you know, that was challenger another challenger result. Of course, James Duckworth earned the title in Istanbul. Shout-out to our guy, Borna Gojo, much needed challenger quarterfinal uh semifinal excuse me for him during the week and you look for gojo now with this result i believe he is up to a new career high ranking and in fact you look for bona gojo with the result he is indeed new career high rank number uh ranking of number 208 now he's dropped down to 212 in the live ranking since but again 208 for him you're starting to get into grand slam qualities 23 years old considering he you know this was really his first full season of pro action given and, you know, 2020, the pandemic, all of that knocked off. He left college after that 2019 season. Uh, Goyo, un- unequivocally, it's been a step forward for him. So excited to see that semifinal result. And then, of course, you had our final challenger over in Quito, Ecuador, Fasundo Mina, earning the title there, the Argentinian 6-4, 6-4 win over Gonzalo Lama, the 28-year-old now 12 off his career high ranking of number 210. He's at 222. Uh, but again, he reached that 210 earlier this season. So, of course, you always love to see a guy 27, 28 years old continuing to reach career highs. But those were your big results on the Challenger Tour. Now, very, very quickly, I do want to share my thoughts on Champagne. If you guys didn't know, I mean, all right, first of all, after a super disappointing August that saw him lose early at the first Champagne Future, that saw him lose early at Kalamazoo for 17-year-old Martin Don, the six foot six, six foot seven behemoth. Is that the kind where, can I call someone a behemoth and say it affectionately? When I say behemoth, I just mean he's a big boy. Um... He earns his first futures title, 6-3, victory over Baylor's Adrian Boitan in the final. You look for Dom, it was a three-set win for him over McNally in the semifinals. Also earned straight-set wins over Ponwith, Zink, and Perry Gregg. I mean, I got the chance to see him in person, both in Kalamazoo and at that first Champagne Futures, and there's no denying, for a guy 17 years old, that's as developed, you know, physically of a young man as you're going to see. And I, I know that sounds a little weird, but I'm just saying, you know, again, the strength is there both on the first serve, his ability to absorb and redirect that heavy ball because this is a guy who's been training to be a professional. This is a guy who has already turned pro. And of course, for him to get this result, he's now up to a new career high in the live rankings for Martin Dom up to number 621, which isn't quite in the challenger range, but begins to open up some doors and should help him be seated now at futures events and you know perhaps in the right sort of week get into a challenger qualifying although 608 is 621 excuse me still might be a little bit low to get into challenger qualities but again he's 17 years old and so for him to get his first futures title for him to bounce back after a disappointing august speaks to again his resilience speaks to uh just the aggression he can play with and again that first serve he can just match stroke for stroke the power tennis right now of anyone at that level and to say that at 17 years old is incredibly impressive and just you know again 
big 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, lefty, can hit all the spots with his serve, comfortable with the first forehand, good returner. I like the backhand as well. I think at the moment when I saw my tweet out, it's Yuri Vesely 1.25 because I do think he's a little bit more athletic. I think he's very fluid for a guy his size and for him to have the serve already developed, the first forehand already developed, speaks to uh, just where he's at with his game. And so I thought this was a really good bounce back performance for him. Now, on the flip side, you know, again, I, I went on this whole Alex Kotzen thought, and so I hope Michael Woodson hears this. And if you are listening to this podcast and want to tweet at Coach Woodson that Gruskin said this, please let him know so that he gets off my back. But yes, Adrian Boyton can be the best player in college tennis this season. I think all of us, igno- well, I don't want to say I think all of us. I don't want to speak for others, but I know I'll speak for Matt and Chris because I have no problem speaking for them. They would say the same thing. You watch the power tennis of Adrian Boyten. And by the way, check the tapes. Check the tapes. Go back to the conversation we had with Michael Woodson uh, before the start of last season. Go back um, to evoke his name to the conversations we had with Brian Boland when Boyton was younger on the roster. I always ask, tell me the Boyton update. Where's Adrian Boyton at? Because you watched his power tennis from the very beginning, even when he was dealing with some injuries and trying to get his fitness to where he knows it can be. The power tennis was always there. His forehand, the ball coming off of his racket, he can hit a gear that few others can hit. And I remember sitting next to Mike Cation, and I apologize speaking for Mike. Don't tell Mike Cation I spoke for him on this podcast. But I remember seeing the look on his face watching Boyten at the National Indoors, and he gave me a look like, does this guy always do this? And I was like, yeah, he really does. And he's just, again, the serve, the forehand, the backhand, both wings, the fluidity as an athlete. Um, again, he just, he continues to get better and better. And so it's been a huge breakthrough summer for him. He really, he can be the best player in college tennis next season. No doubt about that. He can just hit a gear that few others can hit. And again, a 4-4 four and four win for him over Cannon Kingsley, Crack Rackets athlete in that semifinal. And by the way, Cannon can also be the best player in college tennis. Don't let this one result, you know, make you think, oh, it's definitely Adrian over Cannon. No, I mean, they're both exceptional players. And again, it's who's hitting the ball on, who's hitting the serve better on any given day. But, you know, Adrian, big final for him. And you look over the course of the event for him to get wins over, you know, Kingsley over the big hit and Dolly Blanche. He also earned a win over Draxel 7-5 in the third. Of course, Liam Draxel certainly going to be on the short list for best players in college. Tennis was a first round win for him over former USC, uh, Connor, USC's Connor Fair. And of course, he was down a break early in that first set. So big week for him. Big week for Kingsley, who, by the way, gets wins over Kotz, uh, over Columbia's Alex Kotzen. Also a win over UCLA's Drew Baird in the first round, I believe, for Cannon. It was a straight set win over Zeke Clark as well. So good performance for him. Uh, you look at the bottom half of the draw. It was McNally uh, making the semifinals before bowing out in three to Martin Dam for McNally. He got wins, uh, I believe, early in the tournament over Yasha Zemel of Kentucky. Also got a win in his first round match over now Ohio State. Uh, senior, I believe, Jake Van Emberg. So, you know, again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. He may have formally turned pro, but if McNally went back to Ohio State, I mean, if you have Kingsley, McNally, Van Emberg, Votzel, Tracy, Trotter, Boulay, oi, Cash, I mean, that's... that's... That's a team, folks. That's a freaking team, even against Florida. That's a team. And so I'm not saying, first of all, even without McNally, they're still a freaking team. But if you get John McNally back as well, I'm not saying it's happening. I'm just saying I may have to send a text or two just to inquire. But no, I'm pretty sure he's turning pro. But again, all of that is to say was a really, really fun event in Champaign. Shout out to my main man, Kawaisi Kenyatta, who we're going to get back on the show. Of course, the Illinois standout now, uh, Illinois senior. I think he is a senior now, winning the doubles title with uh, Carly Ozalans, uh, I believe is how I, how I pronounce it. I apologize if I butchered that, but for them, 10-7 win in the third set over the duo of Ponwith and Shane. They also got a 6-6 six and six win over the Tennessee duo of Hud and Walton in the semifinals. It was a fun Zeke Clark Alex Brown semifinal showing as well. They lost 15-13, so we could have had an all-Illini final, but in the end, shout out to my main man, Crack Racket uh, Project's Elite's very own Kawaisi Kenyatta on the title. But that was all of your action. That happened last week on the uh, at in Champaign and across the professional tennis world. Of course, again, for a full challenger breakdown, go to the Great Shot podcast feed to hear 
from Damian Kust and Jakob Bobro. Of course, if you missed any of our coverage of the 2021 Knoxville Showdown, Tennessee, Columbia, Pepperdine, Kentucky, all competing in one location. We were able to broadcast all that action on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. I recapped it on the Great Shot podcast. You've heard interviews from Alex Kotzen, Austin Huang, and Howie Endelman of Columbia. Be on the lookout for some Tennessee interviews coming out later this week as well. But of course, again, if you missed any of those, you can find them on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. And of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to each of our podcasts. Share them with your friends. I wouldn't ask if it didn't help us with the computers, with the sponsors. And of course, if you aren't already subscribed to our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fleetner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for super producers Fleetner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin, you know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 